Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I cannot tell you guys how pleased I am that you've decided to come back for another episode. So please, step on in. Dust off the cold. Pour yourself a stiff drink. And position yourself next to the fire. I have some stories I'd like to share with you. Not only do I have an episode jam-packed with amazing, terrifying, tantalizing stories, I even have another potential Mirrored Men entry. So to kick off our nightmarish journey, we begin with Len in upstate New York. Hey Derek, this is Len from upstate New York. I got a little bit of a story to tell you, hopefully, uh, if I can swell in before I run out of time. It was probably about 2016, and my father and I uh, were heading out to go deer hunting that morning. Probably late October, early November, and we were going to the south end of Canisius Lake, Finger Lakes area, about 30 miles south of Rochester, New York. And uh, this field that we were hunting, or the area that we were hunting, was public access, uh, New York State land. Parked the car, well, parked my truck on the side of the road. Had to walk about 100 yards into this field. We finally got to the hedgerow that separated the field and the woods swamp area. And my father decided to sit in the hedgerow, facing out into the field back up towards the road. And I was going to go about another 30 yards in and sit facing into the swamp. Now, mind you, this is probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning where it's so dark right now that when you turn your headlamp off, you can't even see your hand in front of you. I mean, it is dark. So I settle in against a big uh, tree stump and I'm facing into the swamp. And after about 10 minutes of just sitting there and getting settled in, trying not to make any noise, waiting for their sunrise, from across the swamp, I see a dim light. Now, if I had to guess, this light was probably about two to 300 yards away from me at that first point that I saw it. And I'm thinking to myself, there's absolutely no way somebody's coming across this swamp from that direction at this time of year, considering that it was probably only 40 degrees outside and the water would have been at least waist deep in certain areas of the swamp. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to sit there and wait and see what happens. You know, maybe this is a hunter that's lost or whatever. So I'm sitting here and this light continues to approach me. This whole situation probably took about a good five to seven minutes as it was getting closer to me to actually realize that this light that I was looking at was about 15 to 20 feet up off the ground. You know how sometimes when you look at certain things at a distance, they appear to be elevated, and as they get closer to you or you get closer to it, it basically comes down to your level of eyesight. Um, Well, this particular light never changed its height. It maintained probably about a 15 to 20 foot elevation the whole entire way. So now I'm really puzzled to figure out what this is. 
and I'm sitting here still being as quiet as possible, you know, not not moving at all, um, no motion, trying to control my breathing because, you know, I'm starting to get a little, little concerned about what this might be. It gets probably within 25 yards of me, still at about 15 to 20 feet up off the ground, and it stops. So at that point, I'm sitting there, not knowing what this thing is, and I tell myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to count to three, and whatever this is, is going to disappear, because I'm just seeing something. My eyes are playing tricks on me. So I close my eyes, open my eyes back up, and now this light's even closer. And it's still 15 to 20 feet up in the sky. So now it's probably 10 to 15 yards away from me. So I'm sitting sitting there uh, noticing that there's, there's no sound, there's no movement at all inside these woods. I'm not moving, I'm not making noises. You know, the birds, the squirrels, chipmunks, that are usually making all kinds of noise at that time of morning, there's no sound at all. There's nothing. It's dead silent. Nothing. Now I'm basically just staring at this light, not knowing what it is. I'm just waiting to see what this thing's going to do. And then at that point, it makes a quick move to my left, which would have been to its right, and it just goes shoot straight up into the sky and gone. Just gone. No, no noise, no nothing gone. So I, you know, I'm sitting there wondering what the, the hell that was that I just saw, you know, as I'm sitting there, I notice sounds start to come back into the woods. You know, you start hearing some of the birds chirping that early in the morning, scurrying of, of the critters, whether the squirrels or, you know, chipmunks, whatever is roaming around at that time of the morning, waking up. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that, I mean, I've told several people this particular story. You know, of course, you get the same ridicule from everybody. Oh, you saw nothing, or your eyes are playing tricks on you. You know, whatever the case may be. No one cares to want to use their imagination or think outside the box. You know, I even have a couple friends that are some, uh, part of some paranormal groups here in the area, and I've told them this story. Even they, for some reason, I don't know, maybe they can't put their head around the idea, but they just don't seem to to uh, want to even consider this particular experience even happen. Now, I've listened to several podcasts, your podcast, and a few others, and you know, after listening to them, you know, you start to understand that sometimes these lights are associated with Bigfoot. Now, I can't say I saw a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, and truthfully, as much as I'm interested in that stuff, I'm not sure if I really want to see one or not. You know, I do hunt a lot. Uh, I'm outdoors, either hunting or fishing. I do bring my kids out quite often. You know, I'm not quite sure if I'd ever enter the woods again if I ever came across something like that. So, uh, yeah, that's my story. And uh, to this day, I haven't experienced anything else like that. But it's still something that I think about every single time I walk into the woods, especially early in the morning when uh, going hunting. All right, Derek, well, I hope uh, everything goes well for you and uh, keep up the good work with your uh, podcast and uh, website. Do appreciate it, man. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Len. There's something about Len's call that reminds me of a very famous UFO encounter that took place exactly 40 years ago. It was dubbed Britain's Roswell. The story goes that a number of US servicemen saw an alien spacecraft near their Air Force base in Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk in 1980. The reports were taken so seriously that they were fully investigated by the American military. But the commander there found nothing, and so the Rendlesham Forest incident became the UK's most tantalizing UFO mystery. That clip comes courtesy of The Telegraph. And although the telegraph makes the mystery sound all neat and packaged up, it is anything but. You see, the initial incident, which took place on December 26th of 1980, involved officers seeing and actually touching a craft of unknown origin. On the night of the 27th, investigators from the U.S. military, including Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, 
were investigating the landing site when the craft appeared to have returned. Luckily for us, Halt actually had an audio recorder going during this encounter. Looking directly overhead, one can see an opening in the trees plus some freshly uh, broken pine branches on the ground underneath. Looks like someone came off about 15 to 20 feet up. Some small branches about an inch or less in diameter. Zero 148, we're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. It's very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. Yeah, it's a big mutation. You just saw a light yeah, where? Wait, 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 slow down. Where? Right in this position here, straight ahead in between the tree. There it is again. Watch, straight ahead off my flash right there, yeah, sir. There it is. Oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So, yeah, can I get some Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. Looks to be on maybe a quarter to half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from yeah, the site. Yeah. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight, sir. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. All right, still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Now, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site out through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Meter's jumped three to four clicks, getting stronger. Turn the meter off. You gotta say that again. About four feet off the ground, about 110 degrees, getting a reading of about four clicks. Yes, sir. Yeah, meter. <coughs> good. No, it's done. No, it's done. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something variable here. tree right over. We just found the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 to 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There's no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There's no doubt about it. This is weird. It's a left. You can listen to that full audio recording by clicking on the link in tonight's show notes. Now the story actually gets more convoluted from there. Several craft were seen hovering over a few of the weapons storage areas. In addition, the initial contactee, Technical Sergeant James Penniston, claimed messages of binary code were sent to him telepathically. Yeah, it gets a little wild. But the evidence was there. Soil disruption broken branches, higher than normal radiation levels. Something happened there. But like Len's encounter, who knows what it was. So thank you, Len, for submitting this one. If I'm truthful, my thoughts first went to Swamp Gas or Will-o'-the-Wisp. That's until you gave the detail of it launching into the sky. I don't think that's typical behavior for either of those phenomenons. So that was a good deal for us to unpack. So let's cleanse our palate with something a little more haunting in nature. A haunted doll, perhaps. This is Ivy's submission. Hi, my name is Ivy. I absolutely love your podcast. 
I am very intrigued by a lot of the stories on here, and I have a couple of my own, so I figured I would call and share one or two of them. Um, the first one is back when I was younger, around 2010, I was around 13. A little backstory, I have glass dolls. I love vintage old glass dolls, and I used to have a bunch of them. And my brothers would never go into my room because they said these glass dolls were haunted. I didn't believe them. I thought they just didn't like them. Um, one night, I was sleeping in my bedroom. I share a bedroom with my little sister, and I am deathly afraid of the dark. Still am. I don't know why. But I used to have a purple... Oh, is this purple fixture... And one night it had broken. So I put it off to the side in the corner in my bedroom. And I thought I will have my sibling's dad check it out and see if the bulb needed to be replaced. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't turn on. So I put it in the corner of my room and I went to sleep. Well, for some reason I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw this purple glow coming from behind me. And I thought maybe I'm dreaming I don't know. So I turn around to see what this purple glow is, and the light is on. And one of my dolls from on top of my shelf is in front of this light fixture. And I guess to me, I thought maybe I'm just dreaming or somebody had fixed the light. I don't know what I was thinking at that point, but I rolled back over and fell back asleep. Well, in the morning when I woke up, my doll was back on the shelf and I was like, well, maybe the light works. So I turned or I plugged the light back in and I went to go turn it on and the light wouldn't work again. So I don't know. I thought it was weird. Maybe I was just dreaming and none of that actually happened. It was just one of my many strange occurrences. Thanks for letting me tell my story. Maybe I will tell another one and call back. Bye. Thank you, Ivy. If I had to guess, I'd say you likely dreamed that the lamp was fixed. But then again, I've seen a few moving doll videos in my day that were very convincing. Now I'm a little bit shocked. This is a subject I'm surprised we don't hear more about. But thank you, Ivy, for taking the time to share yours. It certainly sounds like your brothers had a good reason to fear your doll collection. Well, we've covered ghosts. We've covered UFOs, so I suppose Bigfoot is our next logical step. Please welcome Danny to the show. This is his submission from the state of Maryland. Hi, Derek. This is Danny calling from St. Michael's, Maryland. The one I'm about to describe doesn't take place here, but so every year my girlfriend's family plans a backpacking trip out west somewhere, and we ended up in Washington and Mount Rainier National Park this year. You know, it's kind of famous for its Bigfoot sightings and everything. So I'm always joking around with them, like, oh, look out for Bigfoot. And this year, it was the first night we were there. I told everyone, hey, about like 10 o'clock or so, I'm going to go out and take some pictures of the stars because they're just beautiful at night out there. And so I, it, it was the spot I wanted to go take pictures at was a five or 10 minute walk from camp. So I got up and nobody else was awake, of course. And so, okay, so threw on my uh, headlamp. And walked out, you know, just with my camera. That was really all I had on me, that and a tripod. As I'm walking, I'm thinking, okay, what's out here with me at night? Because I know that they have mountain lions out there. So I was kind of, you know, being leery of them and black bears too, even though they're mainly active during the day. So I, as I was walking, I would shine my headlamp around in different directions, you know, just to make sure. And I was listening really closely to make sure I didn't hear anything moving. But uh, the spot I wanted to take pictures at was out in this clearing we were camped in the woods. So I, I get to this clearing after five, 10 minutes or so. And there was, you know, it was beautiful. But as I'm turning my headlamp around, I look up across this clearing and it's probably a good 30, 40 yards or so, I'd say. I swung my headlamp up across that field and where the wood line picks up on the other side, I see a pair of eyes staring back at me, reflecting kind of a yellowish color. And they turned and walked away. And I'm, I'm about five foot 11 or so, almost six feet tall. And 
I would have to say this thing was at least as tall as me, probably a bit taller. Um, it, I, it could have been a black bear. I really didn't see any shape of the figure or anything, but you know, I immediately was like, Oh my God, maybe that was Bigfoot. And so I didn't stick around there for too long. I'd snapped a few shots and made my way back to camp. And I told everyone else about it in the morning, but was kind of brushing it off. Like, Oh, I think I saw a cougar or black bear last night or something. I didn't want them to think I was crazy. So I didn't even suggest Bigfoot, but yeah, that's my one possible Bigfoot encounter. Yeah, uh, just found your podcast about a month ago, and I've been binging it ever since. I love it so much. So keep up the good work, and I will keep on listening and calling back. I've got more stories. I think I live in a haunted house, so I've got plenty of those. But, yeah, keep up the good work, and thanks again. Bye. Thank you, Danny. You might have fallen victim to a trick of the natural world. The eyeshine of the owl. You see, owls have huge eyes. Eyes big enough to mistaken for a creature such as Bigfoot. They also glow vibrantly with eyeshine. And often, they sit 8, 9, even 10 feet off the ground. Giving them the appearance of a much taller creature. Now, if your light is not powerful enough to illuminate anything but the eyeshine, it is even easier to be duped in this situation. Now, of course, I was not there. So I cannot say with certainty if Danny saw just the eyes or if he saw a figure as well. But I can say that he was in prime Bigfoot real estate. The Pacific Northwest is by far the most active region in the country for Bigfoot and Sasquatch sightings. Now I would have liked for Danny to have gone back and looked for tracks. But I can appreciate the level of fear one might experience after seeing something like this. So instead, I'll just say thank you, Danny, for your submission. And please, keep your eyes open on that next trip. Well, I figured it was high time for some sort of mystery. And boy, does our next caller deliver. The following was submitted anonymously from the city of Detroit. Hi, Derek. story happened in May of this year. I was leaving work. I work in Detroit, downtown specifically, in a bunch of, uh, in a, um, you know, an office building or whatnot. I was working late. It was about midnight. I was leaving. And on my way to my car, I have to walk probably about a quarter mile to my garage, probably. And I was walking, and I have to cut through a building that's about a block away from the actual building I work in to get to my garage. It was a weekday, I think Wednesday. Pretty empty for downtown Detroit during the week, especially at that you know at that time of night. I was walking up to this building, and it was completely empty outside in front of it when I when I started to cross the street. Completely empty outside. Uh, now this building in the front of the building there are two revolving doors, and on the side of each revolving door there is a regular door that you have to badge in. The revolving doors are locked at that time of night, and so are the other doors. You have to badge into the side doors. When I was walking up to the building, there was a woman standing directly in front of the revolving doors, and this woman seemed to appear out of nowhere. I, I didn't see her when I started to cross the street, and once I got on the sidewalk and almost approached the doors, this woman was standing there. She was facing the revolving doors, she was dressed in all white from head to toe and seemed like she was standing still at first. But once I got closer, I noticed she wasn't. Now, this uh, lady is about my age. I'm 29, so she was probably within a couple years of my age. When I got closer to her, I noticed that she was holding a, a, a purse and she was fumbling through it. And I went to, I assumed she was looking for the badge to get in if she had one. So I, I went up to her, and she never looked up at me, and I said, do you need help getting in this door? And she said yes. Now, I normally wouldn't do that, but like I said, it was late at night. She was standing alone, and there is a security desk once you go in the building that's way in the back. So I figured if she did get in the building, that the security will probably see her or something like that. So she said yes. 
I used my badge to open up the door and I opened it with my right hand and with my left hand, I gestured for her to go in ahead of me. And she walked up to the door and she put her hand on my chest and she said, thank you, my love. But this time when she spoke, it was in a British accent, a, a very noticeable British accent. And when I first spoke to her, it was just a normal Midwest Michigan accent, I guess. And I didn't notice anything strange. But when when I opened the door for her, she said, thank you, my love. And it was in a British accent. And I thought that was weird, but I didn't think anything of it. Just kind of shook it off. Once you get into these, the first door I passed around, there's another set of glass doors that you have to go in. So once, once she went into the first door that I let her in, she waited. And this lady never made eye contact with me, kept her head down the entire time. And she waited, and I opened up the one of the glass doors for her to go into, and she went in. And I walk a little fast, so once she went in, I went in behind her, and then I kind of walked past her and got a little bit of ahead of her. And as I was walking, I was thinking to myself that this this woman was odd. Something was off, but it was late. I was ready to get home, but I didn't think much of it. Now, this once you get into this building, this lobby that I was in, it's huge and it's very empty. There's a security desk, but it's all the way in the back, basically almost on the other side of the lobby and also farther in the back. It's very hard to describe, so I can't really describe it to you, but you can't see them. You really can't see the security desk. You have to actually walk farther to the back of the lobby and make a small, um, um, I guess a slight right or what or whatnot to actually see the booth. Other than that, it's a very open lobby. There's like a couple of tables and chairs, but nothing really. It's really just almost a football-sized field lobby with nothing in it. And it's dead quiet. There's a fountain in it, but that's off at that time of night. So it was silent. Like, you could hear nothing. You could hear a pin drop in there. So as I was walking towards this back door that I have to, the one that I would exit out of to be at my garage, I heard a very loud screech. And I, it scared me, and I jumped, and I turned, and I looked behind me, and this woman was pulling out a chair that's at one of the tables. And because the lobby is so empty and so big, it was very, very loud. I just turned around, and I started walking as fast as I could out of the building. And probably about five steps in, I decided to look back, and this woman was gone. Completely gone. The chair was pushed back in like no one had ever pulled it out. And this lady was gone. And I actually looked. I stopped, turned around, took a few steps to my left and my right to look. This woman was gone. I don't know. I have no idea where she went. The only way back out was the doors that we came back in. And they make a very loud noise. I would have heard those open. Also, the, the front of the building is glass, so I would have seen her exit. I could see the outside. Like I could see the doors that we came in. This woman was gone. So I just got to my car as fast as I could. I got in the car. I got out of my garage. I headed home. I didn't have no music. I kind of drove in silence just trying to wonder what, what just happened. And I wasn't that freaked out until I kept thinking about it and something popped in my head and I remembered that when I first walked up and I saw this lady she was going through that purse and I assumed she was looking for her badge I do not remember seeing that purse again not when I opened the door for her the, those two times or when I looked back to see her when she pulled out the chair It was, I can't remember seeing it again it was the weirdest thing that ever happened to me I, I, I don't know Maybe you can um, have an explanation for this. Um, I know Detroit does not have a lot of uh, stories or whatnot. I've I've listened all the way through from season one all the way up to the hometown legends of season seven, part two. And I've only heard a few calls from Michigan, period. I don't think I've heard any from Detroit. So I don't know if there are any more listeners with experience in, in Detroit, but this was weird. Thank you, caller. Your story throws out Elisa Lamb vibes. 
She's the unfortunate Canadian woman that died mysteriously after video cameras caught her interacting with an invisible force in the Cecil Hotel elevators in Los Angeles. Her body was finally found in the hotel's water storage tank on the roof after guests reported low water pressure and a foul odor to the tap water. Her tragic death remains unsolved even today. So I'm not saying that our caller's mystery woman was a ghost, and I'm not saying she was a time traveler, and I'm not even saying that she fell victim to the same thing that took Elisa Lamb's life, but I am agreeing with our caller. The whole situation is very weird. So thank you, caller, for taking the time to share it with us. And let's help him out. I know there's got to be a few Detroit submissions out there. So if you have a story you would like to share, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more options. And while you're at it, follow us on social media and don't forget the fan group. Addie, Warren, Tony, Sarah, and John certainly know how to have a great time over there. And I should mention this coming Wednesday, the 15th, I'll be a guest on the wildly popular podcast, Hillbilly Horror Stories. You can hear Jerry and I discuss Monsters Among Us and Cryptic Crete Origins, among many other things. And I'm going to use this last bit of my announcement time to say this. On average, only 1% of a podcast listeners support the show on a platform such as Patreon. I asked around, and I'm not the only one in the average there. Every single podcast that I spoke with has the same situation. Now, it's important to remember that each of these hosts, the hosts of your favorite programs, work extremely hard, and they work very long hours to produce content to bring you enjoyment. Most of us either run a show as a second job or struggle to make it a full-time gig. Now, I'm not asking you to run out and support my Patreon. That's not what this is about, though I think you would probably enjoy that. But I am asking that you go fund your favorite shows. Even if it's only a single dollar pledge. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. Every little bit helps. So please, do me a favor. Support paranormal podcasters, support paranormal artists, and support paranormal writers and filmmakers. The more support the community gets, the more content everyone else gets to enjoy. Okay, this is me stepping off my soapbox. And since you all sat through my little rant, I've thrown together one of the best back halves of any show I've had in recent history. So sit back and enjoy this terrifying tale from Eric in Wisconsin. Hi, Derek. This is Eric from Cross Plains, Wisconsin. Love the podcast and uh, just wanted to leave you a, a story that I had happened when I was younger. I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, and this took place probably about early 80s, 83, I believe, in the summer of. At the time, we had moved into a, a new neighborhood on the north side of town. It was a nice three-bedroom, ranch-style home. It was a pretty ordinary neighborhood, nothing uh, special about it. I was pretty fortunate that there were a few kids in the neighborhood, roughly my age. In fact, right next door was a, a, a kid about a grade younger than I was, but we were both into the same thing. We both loved G.I. Joe and action figures, and we'd play this all the time. If we weren't playing G.I. Joe, we were outside exploring the desert, which was pretty fortunate for us because we never ran into any rattlesnakes or scorpions or anything like that. We used to run into uh, weird things all the time. Sometimes things left behind by coyotes, half cats and whatnot. But one thing that was always prevalent in the neighborhood was there was a lot of uh, satanic symbols. And uh, sometimes you would find old campfires and whatnot with satanic symbology that would, uh, didn't know it at the time because I was pretty young, maybe about seven, eight years old. But later would come to understand. But the incident or the series of what would eventually become pretty significant in my life was over at my friend's house, and we were playing G.I. Joe as usual in the living room. Uh, his mom had asked me to come back to the bedroom 
I really didn't think nothing of it. I didn't really actually go into the bedroom, but stood outside the door. I mean, it was kind of strange because uh, she was standing in the room. Her husband was there and a couple other people in the room that I really didn't recognize. But they asked me if I wanted to see something pretty cool. So I'm like, sure. So something was going on. Not really 100%. But then suddenly in the way the bedroom was, obviously there was a, like a king-sized bed, I'm assuming, was centralized in the middle of the room. And from just about underneath the bed came this large form, but it stayed underneath the sheets until it centered itself to about the middle of the bed. Then this, this form, this lump, whatever you want to say, uh, kind of took uh, a form, like this sheets kind of sucked itself around it. And uh, what had first popped up was a figure uh, from the torso up, uh, a, native, a Native American warrior. And you could tell it had a headdress, a war hammer, and like a, 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 as a war cry. Then it kind of just disappeared. And then kind of the same process happened again, uh, except for this time a lump took the form of a cowboy. And you could see the six shooters. You could hear the guns go off, whooping and hollering himself, then disappear. The next figure was like a knight on a horse. But instead of coming underneath the bed, it just shot from the middle of the bed. And you can hear the, the galloping of the hooves and kind of just pop up in the middle. Same situation, sheet wrapped around. You can make out the forms, not a lot of great detail. But you hear the neighing of the horse and disappeared. And the last figure was, was probably the most scariest to me is this figure formed in the middle and it formed what we would stereotypically picture as a, a witch, you know, a long pointed hat. You could tell the feature, uh, facial features of what we'd normally say, obviously not great detail again, but she started to cackle and laugh. And she turned around and looked at me and started to laugh and said something. I don't remember what she said. In fact, I, I don't think I probably could have heard her at the time. I was really starting to freak out. Tears were in my eyes. My heart was pounding so hard that I could hear it in my ears. But I do remember the, the adults in the room were laughing. I couldn't find my friend anywhere to be. And pretty much all my memory after that kind of just blacked out. The last memory I have is walking back home crying hysterically. I never told my parents about it because I wasn't even supposed to be there at the time because they were both at work. So after that incident, when I went over to play later on, was kind of weird, but, you know, he was my buddy even after what happened. Uh, he told me he wasn't allowed to play with me anymore. And I couldn't quite figure out what happened. You know, I don't, I wasn't sure what I did. So sometime when school started up, I ran into him again in class and at school. And he finally was speaking to me. And I had asked why he wasn't allowed to play. All he could say is that that's what his parents said. He, he couldn't play with him anymore. I was like, okay, that, you know, that's fine. His father had recently built a tree house in the back, which was pretty much a glorified hunting blind. And because the trees in Tucson are not the greatest trees to build houses in, they got two inch thorns in them. But I had asked him how he liked the tree house because I had noticed that he had been playing in the house with, in the tree house with his mom. And he said that he wasn't allowed to play in the tree house. And I asked him why. He goes, well, the witch lives there. That's who I was playing with. And my parents don't want me playing in there anymore. And I thought that was kind of weird because that's the last speaker I saw I was there. But shortly after that, his family moved and the house kind of sat empty for a while. And it was kind of strange that people would move in and out of that house all the time. But at most would be there two years, but never really uh, heard much about if anything ever went on in that house. But shortly after they had moved, I had started seeing a figure in my room at night. And I remember the first time it happened and saw the stark figure standing over me, kind of like uh, what some people would describe as a shadow person or possibly a hat man. Uh, it was it was black, almost void, and it had like a, like a cloak and a hood over it. You can hear it kind of breathing, kind of the strange, kind of wheezy, crackling sound. And I remember freaking out and throwing the blankets over my head. And I would try to bury my head under the pillows, kind of turn my back to it. And I looked toward this door, think about running to it, but I noticed that the figure had moved over there. So I wasn't really sure what to do. So the only thing that could pop in my mind was to start singing. So I started singing songs that I learned in Sunday school. 
you know, Jesus Loves Me, uh, the B-I-B-L-E, all sorts of songs that I learned in, 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 in Sunday school, and it seemed to work. Uh, unfortunately, this went on pretty much for the rest of the time that I lived in that house. I lived in that house about 12 years, but it always happened in my room. I never really left the room, but, uh, you know, it, it seemed pretty strange because it seemed like other kids uh, in my neighborhood experienced some of the same things. My buddy across the street used to say there was an old man who used to scratch at the window asking to come in, like a short three-foot man. Another kid down the road used to talk about a lady that used to fly around his room and would bother him and him alone and none of his sisters. And there used to be a lot of stories like this that uh, revolved around the neighborhood. But that's my story. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Eric. What the hell? Was this some sort of parlor trick and Eric was simply young enough to fall for it? Or was this group literally conjuring different figures? Despite the wild claims... I can't help but be stuck on the friend's parents' approach to this entire situation. I mean, this has stranger danger written all over it. So alright, someone's gotta help me out here. Has anyone else heard of anything like this? Experienced it? Heard a story about it? Know someone that experienced it? Shoot me an email. Like Eric, I really would like to get to the bottom of what might have happened here. So thank you again, Eric, for taking the time to share that one. It definitely weirded me out, big time. So do you guys remember the first call of the night? The UFO call from Len. Well, I have another that shares a lot of the same characteristics. The following was submitted anonymously from the state of North Dakota. Hi, Derek. I'm submitting a story from a time when I lived up in North Dakota. While it's a large state... The population is small enough that everyone knows each other within about three to four relations. So for privacy's sake, I'd like to keep everyone's names anonymous and we'll just refer to them by a letter. I'll start the story after this disclaimer so you can easily edit out this part. It's a longer story, but full of necessary information. Here we go. Hi Derek, I'd like to share a story from a time I was living in Robinson, North Dakota, which is about an hour and 20 minutes to the northeast of Bismarck in the middle of the state. I'm not originally from the state, but had moved up there in the summer of 2013 for work and had ended up living there for three years. My job required me to drive around the entire state for meetings and, as a result, I was on the road quite a bit at night and had seen some interesting things. At this point in my life, I was not necessarily a believer of the supernatural, but I wasn't opposed to the concept. The story I'm not sharing now changed that. The following events occurred throughout the fall and winter of 2013 and 2014. If you have some sort of map application, I'd recommend using it during this story, as it'll help put components of the story into perspective. One evening in November, I had just left Robinson around 4.15 p.m. and was westbound on ND36, headed to Bismarck for the midnight release of the new Xbox One console. Leaving town... The road curves to the north, then west again as it skirts the edge of a wetland. The roads in North Dakota are based on a one-square-mile grid system called sections, and while some roads are paved, the majority are gravel, and there are plenty of section lines that are just prairie trails, many of which dead-end into seasonal wetlands. I had just passed a gravel road called 31st Avenue Southeast, which bisected 36, the road I was westbound on, from the north but didn't continue to the south because of one of the wetlands. Having traveled this road many times on my way to Bismarck, I knew that the next bisecting road wasn't for two miles because there was another wetland between it and myself that prevented a road from being constructed. So there was just a prairie trail that dead-ended into the wetland. Keeping that in mind, right after I passed 31st Avenue Southeast, a bright amber light caught my eye to the north of me, just over the top of the prairie grasses, which can easily reach four or five feet tall. It was a very bright, ambient ball of light that didn't seem to have a directional beam. As I watched, it traveled south at great speed just over the top of the grasses, crossed the road in front of me, and then disappeared from view. From the time it appeared at the edge of my periphery to the time it disappeared from view was only about two to three seconds, and at the time it crossed the road in front of me was about a quarter of a mile away. 
from my perspective, the light appeared to be about five to six feet in diameter and didn't have any distinguishing characteristics. I continued driving, keeping an eye out for crossroads to try and rationalize what I had just seen, but didn't come across one until I reached 29th Avenue Southeast, two miles away. This was the first time I'd ever seen anything like this and decided to keep the event to myself. A couple of uneventful months go by until the end of January, beginning of February. I was headed back from home from Jamestown late one night and it had hit a ground blizzard somewhere around Medina. The wind was howling, whipping up all the snow on the ground, creating whiteout conditions. Invisibility was about 10 feet in front of my truck. I continued making my way west along 94, driving slowly so as not to overdrive my visibility until I reached the small town of Tappan. Fearing that I might get rear-ended by another driver, I decided to take the back road home. The 39th Avenue Southeast is a gravel road that heads north from Tappan, jogs to the west about a mile and a half, and then heads north again, coming out on ND 36 just over five miles to the east of Robinson, the town I lived in. The road is used frequently by local traffic, but I figured I wouldn't run into anyone on a night like this. I left Tappan and was driving slowly north, using the truck's GPS to help me navigate the road as I first hit the left and then right-hand turns which marked the halfway point. As I continued north, I had almost reached Indy 36 when suddenly an almost blinding green light illuminated the dark, snowy night high in the sky to the west of my location. Keeping in mind that visibility was only about 10 feet, I struggled to comprehend what I was seeing. The light seemed to come from everywhere, perhaps because of the snow, but it was brightest at a point a couple hundred feet above the ground. As I continued to creep along the road, I reached the stop sign that signaled that I had reached Indy 36. As the green light continued to shine brightly, I paused there for a moment both to try and pick it out where the source of light was coming from, as well as to try and recall if there had been some sort of a cell tower there. I turned left onto Indy 36 and continued westbound in the direction of home. The light continued to shine from what appeared to be the same position and faded from view as I drove away. Thankfully, I was able to get home without further incident. The next day, the wind had died down and visibility had returned, so I decided to drive back to the intersection to see if there was a tower there. There was not. Much like my first experience, I decided to keep what I had seen the night before to myself. Now, these two incidences might not seem so extraordinary in their current context, but several months later, I discovered a chilling component to this story. It was August and I had just bought a house in the town of Steele about 30 minutes to the south of Robinson on I-94. I was at a party with some friends when someone began talking about strange things they had seen in the North Dakota sky recently, and others started chiming in. Realizing that I wasn't the only one to have seen something, I decided to share my stories with the group. My friends told me that this area had been a hotspot some years ago, and had even feature been featured on Earth Files. Someone started playing the episode of the podcast, and the host introduced a family from Tappan that had been the victim of some terrifying events. It was at this moment that I froze. E, in quotation marks, the son of the family involved, had been at the heart of their encounters from 2005 to 2006, which included sightings, livestock mutilation, and a physical attack on E himself on their family farm. E had moved into the apartment across the hall from me a week before my November 2013 experience. He was about my age, a great guy, intelligent, and a hard worker. We had become friends and often played video games together, talked politics, hunting, etc., but he had never once mentioned what had happened to him. Apparently, after the story broke, he had become the subject of ridicule in town and, as a result, didn't talk about what happened to him anymore. In my own research, UFO experiencers tend to have recurring encounters, almost as if they're magnets for these types of events. I can't help but wonder if what I saw was a result of that. Anyway, I hope you found my story interesting, and if it's featured, I've got plenty of other stories to tell. North Dakota might seem like a desolate place to the rest of the country, but there's plenty of interesting things going on in the night sky there. Thank you, caller. Like Michigan, North Dakota is another state that doesn't produce many submissions. But when they do, they really tell a good story. 
I think our last North Dakota submission was the vampire-type creature chasing the guy on the tractor. I think that's right. So thank you again for that great submission caller. This story also reminds me a good bit of the Rendlesham Forest incident. And ironically enough, there is a nuclear storage base somewhere in the state of North Dakota. I believe it's near the city of Minot. That actually had a missile launch shut down by an unidentified flying object. But we'll cover more on that at a later date. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time. Now our next story involves a subject I've thought a lot about growing up, thanks to an entry in a children's paranormal book from the 1980s. This is Mike's entry from the state of Pennsylvania. Hi, Derek. My name is Mike, and I live in Pennsylvania. I just recently discovered the podcast, and I'm already becoming a big fan. I just wanted to share my story. It happened in our area about 1996 or 97. We had always heard stories about local haunted areas in our city, and during that summer, when we had nothing better to do, we decided to take up the mantle of amateur ghost hunters and would start going around late at night to various sites in the hope of finding something. One of the places we had gone to was a local landmark. Uh, there's a tunnel that passes underneath it. And we had heard lots of stories about people saying they had heard voices in the tunnel, they had seen things. If you drive through and honk your horn three times, you'll see a ghost, different things like that. So we all piled into the car and Probably around midnight, we got outside the tunnel, and there was a lot of nervous energy, and we're all goofing around. And one of the things we had decided is if we ever did see something, instead of talking about it, we would write down what we saw. So that way, no one could influence somebody else to say, you know, well, I saw this, and then everyone else could talk about it and say, oh, yeah, I saw that too. So we kept a piece of paper with us, and we were talking, and then suddenly everybody got really quiet and very still. And after a few minutes, we walked away from the tunnel, and we all gathered back to the car, and everybody wrote something down on the paper. And two guys lingered behind and then joined us about another minute later, and then they wrote down it. And when we got back to our friend's apartment, everybody had written down the same thing, a black silhouette in the darkness of the tunnel with a pickaxe working. Uh, and we were all just very excited, except the two guys who lingered behind wrote an additional detail that they saw another black figure seemingly come out of the wall and turn towards them, and they said it had yellow eyes, and they both wrote the same thing as well. So we were very excited that this happened. Everybody, you know, we couldn't stop talking about it, and the next night we decided to go back up again in hopes of seeing something again. And when we got there, one of the people who had been there the night before, one of the ones who had seen the figure with the yellow eyes, he was right behind us on the road, and we he didn't get there at the same time. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and a few minutes later, he came driving up, and when he got out of the car, he was clearly very agitated, pacing around his car, and we went, when we went over to see what happened, it looked like someone had taken a chainsaw through the back fender of his car. What he told us and what he swears even to this day is that whenever we were driving up there, he felt something grab his steering wheel and pull on it and tug him towards the side of the road, which would have put him into a reservoir. And he managed to get control of his car, but he scraped up against some rocks and some things on the side of the road. And I think to this day, he still won't go back up to that tunnel. So I just wanted to share that. Hopefully it's something you can use. Uh, enjoy the podcast and keep them coming. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Mike. I recall reading this paranormal book, probably written by Daniel Cohen, that talked about a legend on the foggy moors of England, the hairy hands of Dartmoor. The bridge on the B3212 between Postbridge and Two Bridges is the location for some malevolent hauntings. The legend is that a pair of hairy hands appears on your steering wheel or handlebars, 
and tries to force you off the road. There have been many incidents on this stretch of road, which is notorious for fatal accidents, including in 1921 when a medical officer from Dartmoor Prison died after his motorbike went out of control. This area was avoided long before motor vehicles were common on the road. Now I did my best to find the book that I was referring to, but was not able to locate it. So does anyone else out there happen to remember that? Or am I a victim of the Mandela effect? Well, either way, it's great to know that we have our own version of the story here in the States. Although I suppose it might not be that great for anyone that finds themselves driving that stretch of road late at night. Now, if this legend interests you, I slid a link into the show notes to a pretty decent video that breaks it all down. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that blood-curdling music you hear, that's co.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. So I decided to leave this call as the secret story because everything else is difficult and mysterious about these enigmatic entities. So why not continue that tradition? The following call was submitted by Justin in my state of California. Hi, Derek. My name is Justin from San Diego, California. This story I have to tell you actually takes place in North Carolina in a small town called the Outer Banks. It actually comes from that mirrored men story I've been hearing so much about. And it's really funny. I heard that and it brought back this memory I haven't had in years. I was about eight years old in the Outer Banks and I was in this small gated community where all of the houses are very close to each other, you know, a normal gated community. I was on the third story in my room, and the third story looks over the front of the house, which is about 30 feet to the road. Well, it was a dream, but it's insane how how close these things matched people's description. There were these, these hunchback creatures that had cloaks and hoods, and you couldn't see their faces. It was three of them, just like everybody had said. It, it freaks me out to this day hearing that. The three of them walked down the street and they were walking. I, you know, I don't remember if it was that slow motion walk everybody talked about, but it was, they walked down the street. The dream, I was barely sticking my head out over the windowsill. And I see these three cloaked figures. And of course, I see them uh, and within about five seconds of looking at them. They saw me and they stared at me. And uh, the next thing I remember, it was, it was morning. You know, I'm, I'm, 90% sure this was a dream. You know, I don't even know if you could use this on your podcast because it, it's not much, but I thought it'd be worth sharing my experience. And uh, I'll have more to bring to you. I actually spent a lot of time living up in Idlewild, which is in the San Bernardino Forest, as you would probably know. So I have some uh, stories to tell you from there soon. But I just wanted to, you know, put that out there and let you know. Thanks, Derek. I love your podcast. Been listening since season one. Can't wait to hear more. Talk to you later. Thank you, Justin. Given the fact that the encounter took place in a dream, I'm not sure how much clout we can actually give it. However, Justin is correct. The similarities are downright eerie. 
Now, it makes me wonder if Justin maybe heard about a mirrored man encounter and subconsciously dreamt about it later that night. Now, that may be grabbing at straws, but with these mirrored men, I feel like literally anything might be possible. Thank you again, Justin, for taking the time to share that call. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a great night. <laughs>